on this episode of AV Week, how government regulations can impact the AV industry, what markets should AV evangelize, and how to help your clients future-proof their system. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 393, recorded Friday, March 8, 2019. All the markets. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. And by Daylight, the leading producer of high-quality projection screens worldwide. And by Christie Digital. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, her name is YT Lang, and I didn't scare her off the first couple of times, and she is back from A10. Welcome, ma'am. Hey, Tim. How are you? I am doing well, doing well. Uh, also with me is a buddy from just due north of me. His name is Jeremy Caldera from IAS. Welcome, sir. Hello. Uh, and last but not least, oddly enough, because YT is on the East Coast in the States, Jeremy's in the Midwest, and Mr. Frank Pelkoffer is representing the great, uh, the great Western coast of the United States. Welcome, sir. He is from Utelogy. Hello. All right, so let's, let's get into this. Um, there's a couple stories here that we're going to link on this general discussion. Um, and the general discussion is, is this, is, is how governments can influence and impact the, the industry that, that we all know and love and, and work in on a daily basis. But, but the two top of the two stories that I'm going to link to, and I'll, I'll kind of reference each and, and kind of synopsize each. Uh, the first one is about tariffs coming in and out of the country. And, and uh, my buddy Craig McCormick from Commercial Integrator writes a really good exhaustive uh, story on the impact that the tariffs that the U.S. government has put into place is impacting the, the dollars and cents, the cost of goods uh, into the states. And that this is not just a manufacturer makes product X and it gets produced in China and it ships to the U.S. and then there's a 25% tariff tacked on top of that. There are other things that are kind of hidden tariffs as well. Uh, you might have a manufacturer who 100% makes all their product in the U.S. and they make enough of the product that they can have the Made in the United States stamp put on it, uh, which here in the States that is a big deal for, for certain uh, segments of the industry, or certain segments of our, of our clients. But even those products have elements that are made in China, that are produced in China, whether it's chipsets or what have you. And those elements are being tariffed as well. And so the overall cost of even things made in, in the U.S. are seeing you know, uh, significant rises in, in their overall cost. The other one I want to tap on to comes to us from SCN uh, and the fact that Audio-Technica is extending their trade-in rebate for the 600 megahertz wireless systems. Again, this is the, the, the government here in, in the States um, phasing out another spectrum of wireless transmission. I am old enough to remember the first three of these and uh, working for a community college where we have gone through, the college that I, I worked for has still has gone through two rounds of these where they have used trade-ins. Uh, they, they, they tend to use Sennheiser and, and Sure microphones at, at the college I worked at. They, they've done these, these trade-in programs simply because the government has seen it necessary to, to sell these off. I'm not offering opinion here, it's just what they did. So, Jeremy, I want to start with you because you are the integrator uh, of the group. Okay. 
when it comes to whether it's the tariff or it's the it's the spectrum or whatever when when governments do make decisions that impact you guys and, and honestly impact your customers when it comes to staying profitable right and you see rises in costs let's let's start with the tariff one how do you guys best handle that when it comes to you are designing a system that may not go in for a year you may not purchase the product for 6 months and in the interim the manufacturer's price goes up so I can tell you that I have a project right now where I quoted it back in October, and this is before a lot of the stuff had even hit the fan with, with all the tariffs and whatnot. And we saw a lot of our manufacturers, um, whether it be DSP, speaker, or whatever, uh, do major cost increases on, on the dealer price list, right? even flat panels and whatnot. And so uh, in this case, I'm taking a huge hit, which is not necessarily, it, it's, it's good and bad because right now we're not even marking our equipment up much right it's it's a commodity item right so as far as material goes we're, we're making very little profit on it i mean not enough that we can't absorb that that hit uh but it's just it's just less profit that we have right so now we're more important as to why we need to sell our services versus versus equipment uh, i've had a few that are kind of parts only sales and those kind of really hurt when i got to deal with all that right um now that's just for you know those basic type things um you know, it's okay. People expect price increases. What's interesting is you know, a couple of my larger clients are Fortune 100s and, and they themselves are seeing huge uh, tariffs because they do a lot of business in China and whatnot. Um, so they understand that. Smaller businesses and the smaller clients do not. Uh, and it's hard to kind of sell that. Uh, there are some instances, uh, LED walls, for example, where I've got some LED wall quotes that I've been putting out recently where they're actually calling out the tariff. They're not raising their prices. They're just saying, here's the price for the wall. Here's the price for the scaling and the commissioning. Here's the tariff. Okay. So I took that idea and said, oh, okay. And I just put that right on my quote too. So you're buying this, but here's the tariff costs for the LED wall as well. So that they're understanding what, why the price went up $10,000, right? So it, it, Jeremy, can what, I ask you, are yeah. you, when you're tied to that, is it almost like a notes and exclusion where you say, here's the tariff and the tariff is subject to change? So typically I'm just kind of right now, I've just been kind of taking the risk. I'm just putting what the tariff is in there and I've tell you know, I'm telling the clients that, you know, this could change if you're not going to order it for three months. You know what I mean? My prices are only good for 30 days anyways in my proposal. So in that case, I'm going to take the risk, right? Uh, best case scenario, I would just keep the tariff if the tariff went away. But and more than likely, I, I don't usually do that anyways. I would actually remove it from them. But if the tariff fluctuated by a thousand bucks here and there, and I mean, we're hopefully making enough money on a project of that size that we could just absorb that or, uh, you know, take that little bit of extra profit. Um, if it went away, I'd help the client tell them to put it away. But like I said, we've, we've got the option to reprice things every 30 days, you know, just based on our proposal templates. Uh, with some of our customers, they make us do it for 45, but it's still, it's not that big of a deal. What's been your, your client's reaction to that tariff line? Uh, it, initially sticker shock, right? Where it's just okay. like, Oh wow. I didn't realize it was that much. Right. And, but you know, led walls, they're coming out of China, everything for the led going out of China, right. On a boat. And like at the first time I started quoting led walls, the sticker shock was shipping, right? The expensive. Well, you got $4,000 in shipping expenses here, right. Just for this one product. Uh, they've gotten past that. And now it's onto the, Hey, you've got eight, $10,000 in tariffs. Right. And, you know, it's really interesting in the article where he talks about uh, the perception of the tariffs, right? So uh, is it temporary? Because if it's temporary, 
if we think it's temporary, it's not really going to be stuck on the brain, which is completely true because in a lot of cases, some of my clients have said, okay, well, this project may not happen for the three months we're budgeting for it now. So that tariff will probably go away. Right. And I'm just like, okay, but you know, you may want to budget for it to be in there, <laughs> you know, cause it could go up too. Right. So I know initially we had like a 7% and then it was potentially going up to 10% in May or well, I don't remember the dates and stuff like that. But uh, I, I keep trying to tell everybody, just be cautious of that. So it's, it's a, it's a matter of managing perception. And uh, you know, as far as I go on my proposals, I'm putting it right in my line item. Well, I usually don't give line item pricing, but my solutions pricing where I, you know, I break it out equipment and labor. Here's what the equipment costs. Here's what labor costs. Here's tax and associated tariffs, right? If you will. And then here's your total. All right. Uh, Frank, from, from a, a standpoint of, you know, not just you, you guys don't sell physical hardware, you sell software. Um, but government, whether it's net neutrality or what have you, have, has set, passed several um, regulations to imp- that could imp- impact you guys. How do you then help folks like Jeremy illustrate that and, and, and kind of lay out some of the, the um, ramifications of some of these um, uh, you know, regulations, whether it's you know, um, net neutrality or it's the 600 megahertz or what have you, so they can properly explain to their clients what's going on? Well, you know, net neutrality is not something that really affects us. Um, and I've you know, got some strong opinions around that. But um, with regard to the tariffs, um, it, it's a thing, right? Even though we're a software-based platform, there still is a, a, a need for some basic items. And, you know, there's 25 million huddle rooms in the world. Nook, Brief. USB peripherals and a flat screen, right? And, um, and those are tied to tariffs and we're seeing that. And in my groups that you guys are all part of, um, we see conversations going on, you know, on a regular basis now. And there was a spike uh, back in, you know, early January when, when it was really, you know, coming to bear and people were starting to feel the effect. Um, so my conversations with the Jeremy's of the world are, well, I, I can help you by encouraging you to sell software instead of boxes. You know, drop a third of the boxes, you drop a third of the tariff. Um, but the thing I like about Jeremy, and I, I wish more people thought like this, right? He, he's not selling, uh, he's not selling transactions, right? He's selling an SLA. Yeah. And that's that's what these IT departments want to buy, right? Um, and most of these companies are sophisticated enough that at least we're seeing, you know, uh, here, here in North America, they understand that, you know, they, they have no control about what the tariffs are going to be and, um, you know, and even commoditized pricing, right? The, the price of steel, the price of aluminum, you know, that, that fluctuates anyways, right? That prices have to change just according to, you know, commoditization and most of these big manufacturers they buy futures and they could you know provide some stability in those markets but you can't control tariffs and i would you know i encourage everyone pass it on that's not your problem it's not our job as integrators and i'm not an integrator anymore but it's not my job to act as a bank it's not my job to act as the guy who's absorbing your taxes you know it's hard enough to make a buck in this industry um you know, every point matters. So, you know, sell software and you don't have to worry about that. 
All right, uh, YT, as we wrap this up <laughs> on the manufacturer's side, um, it, Frank, you make some really good good points. Uh, this is not just a U.S. problem, though. Uh, we, we obviously we the, we're all here in the states, but you have issues like Brexit uh, and whether or not that happens, and if it does, there are issues getting products in and out of of, of the U.K. from the EU, let alone other places in the world. Right? Um, you have China that's you know, that has put on. Um, other tariffs because of the U.S. putting in tar- tariffs on, so there are you know, issues getting product in, into China. How do you guys, as a manufacturer, work all of these gl- global interesting uh, interestingness uh, to make sure that you and your clients are not only have the product but have it at, at a decent price? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that's really one of the benefits of being the global company because we have the. You know, we have factories in different places. We have R&D in different places. So we'll be able to be more flexible to adjust the changes. But um, coming back to the tariff, um, for the timeline, actually it started in around like September last year, and it started with 10%. So as a manufacturer for, for A10, um, even though our high-end products like video matrix, HD-based T over IP control system, we manufacture in Taiwan. But still, there are some portion of the like 2-core, 4-core HDR, HDMI splitters that are manufactured in China. So those will be impact. So it's, it, all, it started in September last year with 10%. And as a manufacturer for Q4 last year, um, we stay with the same price list. We absorb the cost. By ourselves, so you can imagine how much that impact as a manufacturer like us. That's ten percent, yeah. like without margin, without P and L. And then moving to Q one this year, um, that's when we uh, adjust our price list. We increase our price prices. But at the same time, echo back to Tim what just mentioned. Um, the benefit of us being uh, global is so we move some of the product lines from China to Taiwan, even though there, there's still increase. Um, in the cost, but compared to the tariff, it's not that many. It's not that much. So, for example, um, even though it's not pro but for example, one of our products is called LCD KVM, the keyboard mouse video switch. We moved that from China to Taiwan. And in January this year, we were still watching because originally it was supposed to be 25% starting March 1st, but it got pending. So, but at the same time, we're still watching, um, you know, um, looking closely to, to the news, to the information that government is releasing, because if the 25% is really going to happen, we have to think about it. Because you can imagine, again, we, we, we have so many internal meetings about just how to increase um, our, our cost. Um, but I have to say, you know, changes happen all the time. Echo back to Frank, something's Sometimes things, some things are not the things that we can control. So I'll just say, I'll say it's a matter of fact how fast we can react and how uh, we can communicate with our partners. So um, last year, um, our VP, Holly Garcia, sent emails to partner to make sure that we are fully communicating with our partners about the tariff. And, for, and one last thing that echo back to Jeremy is I really like how Jeremy had an extra tariff uh, information. I think that that's really smart. And, 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 and it can actually make the customers understand and um, feel like it, this is the tariff impact. It's not like the crease that, that we want to increase or, or things we can control.
And that's not easy to do either because yeah. I can only do it on things like my LED walls because they're the only people who are calling it out, right? Because I've got my other manufacturers who just put it into the price increase. So I don't know really what is a tariff and what's not part of the tariff of the price increase. And I, I, I think I've, we've said this before on another show I was on with, with you, Tim, is that you know I got all these price increases from X, Y, and Z manufacturers, but I, I doubt that with the tariffs, if the tariffs go away, that my prices are going to go down. <laughs> you know, you you might want to keep like a copy of last year's and, and you know this year's. Well, I keep them all. It doesn't mean they're going to change anything. <laughs> yeah. well, you can at least say, "Hey, dude." I would argue with that. I, I, I might argue with that, Jeremy, because you mean we're at the end of the day we're talking about commoditized products, and 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 the price will. Adam Smith's invisible hand will reign um, ultimately, even if they hold the price post tariff for a quarter or two. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but I also think that adding it as a, I'm with YT, I think adding it as a line item will bring the political pressure because it's not you, right? You can point the finger at the government and, you know, here in, in, in the United States, you know, some would argue that we don't have a voice, but that's the only voice we have. And, and, uh, I think when people can identify the actual cost of the tariffs and it's not some talking head on cable TV, you know, with political blather, but this is where the rubber meets the road. Here's a transaction and, and here's the actual cost. I know this is happening across a, a bunch of my uh, integrator friends and, they're, and and people are shocked. I think like what you said, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. This is actually real. It's not something I heard about on cable news. This is real. And um, and maybe we're seeing the, at least the U.S. government back off this a little bit because uh, it is permeating across all industries. Uh, and What's the public is seeing that. Before I line-itemed it, I would even say that to a few people. Oh, man, some of these prices went up because of the tariffs. And I got, like, they looked at me like I was crazy, like I was being a talking head. You know what I mean? And just or you like, were trying to get an extra 10% out of them. Right, right, right. Just blaming this, right? But now that I'm calling it out, saying, nope, this is the tariff fee. Like, and it's got a specific dollar number to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, then, hey, it's it, this is real. Exactly like you said, Frank. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, next story. Uh, at the end of March, actually March 26th to the 28th, Avixa, uh, Chief Executive Officer uh, David Labuskas, is heading over to London to talk to the Passenger Terminal Expo 2019. This is something, this is not the Passenger Terminal Expo, but this sort of thing is something that not only Labuskas, but other folks within the Avixa organization has been doing really in earnest for the last year and a half, ever since they changed the name from Infocom to Avixa. One of the, the key points of that, one of the pillars of that presentation when they, they said, hey, now we're a VIXA and the strategic plan has been to outreach to other industries, to other organizations, to industries that the VIXA team and, and the board have uh, identified as areas that you know the AV industry can, can help. They can help those industries and thrive and, and try to get into different areas. Another one, uh, I remember they went to uh, the, the uh, organization of stadium owners. Um, and, and these are folks who are not, honestly nowadays, they're in the entertainment business. They don't, they're not facilities managers. These folks that own stadiums are in the entertainment business and that's how they see themselves, right? So if you're in the entertainment industry, obviously you need audio and obviously you need video. And so, you know, uh, the team at Avixa have been going out and evangelizing and showing how AV can you know, help these organizations do what they're trying to do, whether that's connect with customers or entertain or what have you. Frank, not just passengers, you know, this is a, a terminal um, group. Um, what other areas 
do you think that that AV and and you know Avixa and, and and you know honestly you guys and folks like Jeremy can go out and evangelize? What other areas and what other markets should, should we be hitting? Well, every market, but I'll t- I'll tell you something. The as I teach, so, so we're primarily, Utelogy is primarily in the meeting room space and the classroom space, right? There's 35 million meeting rooms on the planet-ish, about the same number of classrooms. Um, and that's a pretty big market. That's a pretty good segment, according to a VIX's global market survey. Um, but that's also the part that's getting commoditized the most um, because IT departments are inheriting those rooms. They're very happy with just good enough. Put a nook, put a couple USB peripherals. HDMI and a flat screen, right? And I've got a room and two thirds of the rooms on the planet are going to be that at least in the meeting space, right? Um, and we're seeing that in classrooms, but add a couple USB peripherals like docking, right? And so you can do a lot of things that are pretty sophisticated, including a Zoom call, a WebEx call, a, a you know, Microsoft Teams call, Blue Jeans, um, out of that configuration. So there's a whole different value proposition there. But the question was, can Avixa reach out? Yes, it can. And I think for, for the integrators of the world, the place where there's still healthy margins and the ability to bring what we really specialize in in AV is the passenger terminals. I mean, what's any airport now that's worth its weight? It's a beautiful super mall. Um, same with any train station anywhere in the world. These are beautiful facilities with shops and restaurants and digital signage, and it's all about the experience, right? And and it all plays into Avix's, you know, whole rebranding, right? And there's still good margins there. Um, and that applies to like you know, like this, you know, um, hospitality is what I would call that, you know, generally speaking, but stadiums, venues, house of worship, et cetera. The meeting room space and classroom space where we really specialize, it's, it's a whole different value proposition. And before Avixa started marketing to that segment, I would encourage Avixa to actually start really trying to understand what the challenges are with these global enterprise IT departments because it ain't putting rooms together. I can tell you that. Um, and so it, it's a whole, it's a whole different realm. We can get into that an, another time. All right. Uh, now, if you like. <laughs> we can do that. Uh, YT, from your guys' standpoint, from A10 standpoint, where to, what markets are you, are you guys seeing as opportunities, uh, not just for the manufacturers, but also for the integrators? Mm. Um, I'll say for the pro AV, really the, the, the market is growing. So, for example, for this couple of years, um, Besides Infocom, we went to shows and events that fo- focus on vertical market, like Hims for healthcare, West for government, NMB for broadcasting. Um, and and the interesting thing is, like whenever we we go to these shows, even though we're now we're talking about Pro AV, but we're seeing people asking about the control. By saying control is um, the, 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 the PC control, server control, for example, especially in those c- control rooms. So that's when you will see people are not just asking for video wall solutions or meeting um, solutions. They are also looking for um, KVM switches uh, or like Fran mentioned, uh, um, now docking station with USB Type-C. Um, and I, I think it's a good thing that 
uh, Visa is looking at different vertical markets. So right now, I have said, you know, it's it's just not just not just the passenger terminal expo, but the a couple of vertical mar markets I just mentioned: healthcare, government, broadcasting. Um, these are, I think, are the ones that um, we can look deeper into as well. All right, Jimmy, you'll have the last word on this. What are markets that you're seeing uh, as possibilities for you guys? Well, I, I, I'm going to agree with Frank that I want to see more education. I want to see more, more commercial, but that's primarily because that's where I work and that's the spaces I work in. But with a very, very big caution, like you said, they, there really needs to be an understanding of what the new business mindset is of uh, a lot of those people. And like you, you know, you hit the nail right on the head when he said that uh, with a lot of these people, you know, good enough is just is where they want to be. And they're perfectly fine with that. Right. Uh, which is interesting because I don't know that they would feel that way about their networks, you know. <laughs> no, they would. They, unless people, well, you know, IT, de IT departments, IT directors get paid bonuses based on uptime. So no, no right. it's not that. So why are we not approaching? Well, you just. Well, that's exactly it, and that's the conversation. I was talking to Chuck um, Espinosa a few weeks ago. He stopped through here up in Northern California. And, and I actually think it's it's something that I would love to see a VIXA start focusing on. And it's huge margins and it's a huge opportunity for our industry. But I know we're missing the boat on it because just good enough is a thing, but it ain't going away. Right. right. And so our conversation needs to revolve around what is the challenges that these enterprises are experiencing? You know, YT just talked about control. Well, in a VIXA's 2017 Global Market Survey, and I'm looking forward to the 2019 one coming out, and if you never bought it, it's not cheap. It's five or 6,000 bucks, but it's well worth it because you'll see they called for compound annual growth rate in our industry at 4% per year. That's an acronym CAGR, 4% a year, 2017 to 2022. But they also called out for control to grow 11% per year in that same time period. Yet, we're seeing less control. What gives? Okay, the I, difference between 4% and 11% is 275% greater growth in the control and automation market, yet touch panels and processors are not being sold to the extent they used to be, especially in two-thirds of the market where it's just good enough. But so, yeah, hang on Where's that coming you're, from? You're, you're saying, hang on a second, you're saying that there's less control. I would argue that there is actually more control but less interfaces. I'd agree with you about touch panels, right? But there is actually more control because of the ubiquity of cell phones, because of the ubiquity of mobile, because of the rise of voice. There was actually more control. It's just done in a different way than we're all, than we're all used to. And we're taking a system, an AV system of systems. I'm taking my 500 rooms, my 2,000 rooms, my 10,000 rooms, my 25,000 rooms. We had an opportunity to come across 48,000 rooms out of ISC, 48,000 rooms. Those people have a completely different problem than the room. They have a system of systems and they want to integrate that to their other enterprise systems, their ERP systems, their uh, authentication systems, their uh, across the board. And so being able to take APIs, RESTful APIs, data connectors, and take my aggregate of my audio visual, my meeting room, my classroom experiences, and integrate them up with all my other IT enterprise applications, that's the future. And I'll tell you right now, it's happening today. So it's not coming, it's here. And that's, that's where the market is. And I worry 
I'm one of the few guys in my business that actually came from AV. All the others, are, they're IT people and enterprise software people. I, I worry that our business is missing the boat on this, um, and that we're gonna we're gonna miss the the real opportunity um, as we get our heads around what it really means. Yeah, um, but that's only in the meeting and classroom space, stadiums, house of worship. None of that's going away. You know, that's that's going to continue to be good markets for traditional AV integrators. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, we're going to wrap up here. We, we've actually tackled, taken uh, really got a, a chunk of time. I'm glad we did, though, on, on the first two. So here real quickly, we'll, we'll synopsize this one and give you guys kind of a minute to, to uh, expound on this. Uh, a story comes out of San, Santa Communications about Riverside, California's um, emergency uh, operations center, how they're future-proofing. We're going to use this as a kind of a jumping-off point. Uh, YT, when you're talking to clients and you're talking to, to their clients, how are you guys advising them on the best way to future-proof, not just EOCs, but also classrooms, meeting spaces, uh, you know, uh, uh, stadiums, what have you? How, how is the best way today to, to future-proof as much as possible an AV system? Got um, I'm thinking from two points. Like One is from technology's point of view. The second one is from the installation point of view. Uh, but for the installation, I think I'll leave it to Jeremy because he's the expert. But for the technology point of view, because right now we are for like like all the pro project. Right now we're just um, looking at the situations about one thing, like 1080p or 4K. So you know, like in some of the mini room or classroom, right now they only have like 1080p sources. But we will see um, what the customer's budget is like. And we will also talk to them about 4K. Um, for example, like, okay, a video matrix has a scalar building size. So right now, even if only have 10TP sources, you can still scale up to 4K. Um, so that's one of the things that we recommend. Um, the, the second thing is, because um, when, when, when we are talking about customers, because right now we will talk more than just the pro part. We'll also talk about the power, power part because we can help with the uh, PDUs as well, as well as we, um, we will make sure that um, if there's any other control, like if they need USB extension, if they need to uh, control the PC, especially in control room, they will want to uh, control and manage the servers. Um, and the third one is, because you know, when I'm looking at this project, this one, I'll say this is a really good one, and this one is really interesting, because I don't know if you look at the, because um, if you scroll down to the bottom, you can see a list of all the products. Yep. And if you look at, if you look at, if you look at, right now they are using a, a Questron's uh, video matrix, so that's 32 by 32. And because I just did a really quick calculations on the, dis, uh, on the displays, on the output ports. So right now they are doing a 4 by 4 video wall, that's 16 displays. And they have another A monitors in front of ACs, so that's a, 20, 20, a total of 24. Well, the good thing is to be future-proof, because they, they want to do, actually they want to do a wall with 32 displays. So one thing that I think they did a very good job is they, they, they've um, saved the wires, they have the extra spare cables. But if you did a quick, like if you did a quick calculation, 32 plus eight, that's 40. And that's already over that 32 by 32 uh, video matrix. Um, so, you know, once they're gonna do it in the future, they probably will face to the situation where they probably need to cascade another video matrix or they want to, they need to do some DA. So this is another project that we're 
thinking about if we should go for the um, traditional circuit-based modular video matrix solutions or the over IP ones. Um, because, you know, for the over IP ones in the future, they just need to add eight more receivers, then they'll be good. Um, so, um, but, but still, I think, I think it's a very good project. You look at the pictures, um, you know, the monitors look nice. Um, and um, one last thing I can mention is, again, if you scroll down to the list of products, you can see there are Questron, Extra, and Kramer. But again, you can see um, the manufacturers from IT. So for example, Amazon, they have a KVM in there. So again, this, this control room, um, actually one, one of the vertical markets or applications that we see are growing with the control room is once again, you'll see some of the Pro-AV and you'll see some of the IT or the KVM either the KVM or the PDU or the USB uh, docking stations. Um, so, yeah, so that's pretty much you know, our, our thoughts on this project. All right. Mr. Caldera, how do you best uh, future-proof your clients, sir? Well, I, and I, I, I don't want to say anything bad about this Emergency Operations Center, but I read this article and I thought there's nothing future-proofed about this, right? It's the exact opposite of future-proofing. Right, because for me, future proofing is about the infrastructure, and I don't mean like power condo things like that. I mean the AV infrastructure, right? What's the back end switching? What's the transport methods? Things like that. Because displays are going to come and go, right? Doesn't matter if it's LED, doesn't matter if it's LCD, doesn't matter what the flat doesn't doesn't matter, right? Your sources are going to change. Could display port, 8K, 4K resolutions are going to change. Whatever, right? You want to future proof? You go video over IP. That's it, plain and simple, right? Because once you have an, if you have a really good IP network, you have a really good network just set up, good switching, good routing, good cabling. Um, you could stick the end pieces on and upgrade those as you need them, right? Doesn't matter how many you have, doesn't matter how many you need, you could have more displays, more sources, 8K, 4K, 16K, 32K, I don't give a, it doesn't matter, right? As long as you got the bandwidth on the backbone of the switches and all, all that other stuff will come, right? So if you really want to future-proof, you need to get it on the network because the network will handle not only your video, your transport, your control, it'll do audio, it'll do everything. <laughs> Right, so uh, any customer of mine that wants to future proof, that's the conversation that I'm having with them. It's not, you know, I, I don't care what the display is. I, I really don't, you know. Uh, it's just a matter of how do I get it from point A to point B. And if you wanna be worried and concerned about, um, you know, a network operations center, for example, if I wanna bring in cameras, what kind of cameras am I bringing in? They're IP cameras, right? So maybe I can get a wall processor that takes in IP sources directly so I don't have to go through encoding or decoding or anything like that, right? It's, let's talk about that and bringing that in it's it's the whole like we have a network engineer i mean we're a small av company but now i have a full-time network engineer i never five years ago i never would have thought that right so um that, that's the conversation i think that needs to be had all right frank you'll have the last word on this how do we future proof i totally agree totally agree with jeremy um and and brand names don't matter respectfully um it's uh we should and could be uh selling an outcome I'm selling business objective outcomes, period. And so brand names don't matter. And so if I'm gonna future-proof, first I'm gonna start with software at the heart and the most valuable bit of the whole thing. Because software can evolve. I don't need to replace it or wait for the next box to come out. And everything out on the edge is just an IoT device. And that's the way at least IT looks at these things. It's, you know, and it's, it's a thing. Um, so I can switch the edge out uh, as, as I need to. I can upgrade my, my, my microphones, my displays, etc. And I can evolve my platform that everything goes on. And I'm future-proof, as future-proof as you can be. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right. That is going to do it for us. Thank you uh, all so much uh, for joining us. Thank you for, for watching. Uh, YT Lang from A10. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be back. Absolutely. And how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you can find us, A10 Technology, in LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and you can also find myself, YT Lang, um, on LinkedIn as well. All right. Very good. Mr. Calderic, very good to see you, sir, as always. Oh, it's great to be on here. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. How do people find you or uh, IAS? Uh, IASTechnology.net, uh, uh, Jeremy underscore Caldera on the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I think I have all that stuff. And you'll Just search, you'll find me. You'll find him, and you'll also find actually him and YT and Frank roaming around and, and Infocom in just, get this, three months' time. That's right, kids. That's we are under 100 days. Actually, we're, as of this recording, we're about 90 days out. So, uh, Mr. Pelkoffer, thank you, sir, as always. Thank you very much, Tim, Jeremy, YT. Nice to see you guys all. How do people find you or Utelogy? Google Utelogy and it'll give you everything you want to know. U-T-E-L-O-G-Y. All right, very good. Uh, and Frank's you know, had a, a number of, of uh, good hires here in the last month or so, so check that out as well. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on, on the Twitters at this point. Um, I'm not, the Blues are doing okay, so that's why, and, and football's not here yet, so there's no bears. Uh, but go by the website, if you would please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. This program you can find, as well as a host of others, including our, weekly, our other weekly program. looks at the residential side of the AV industry. It's called Resi Week and a number of other monthlies, including our brand new uh, digital signage uh, show called Digital Signage Digest uh, with Lenore and Lane. So you can check that out. Also, while you're there, check out our underwriter section. These are the folks who support us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week, ISC last month, DSC at the end of this month, and yes, Infocom in about three months' time. Uh, so check those out. Uh, we appreciate them and, and their support. Uh, also, while you're there, um, we did something interesting yesterday. We, we helped stream uh, the very first Avixi UK um, diversity council meeting. Uh, not council meeting, but one uh, their, their first event. It came to us from London and our friends, uh, uh, Kevin McLaughlin and the guys over and gals over at uh, the Royal Society of Medicine. So you can check that out actually on our Facebook page. So uh, check all that out and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.